author and television writer and producer, Ben Desham, wrote and also helped to bring back The Outer Limits in the 1990s, the famous anthology series that he executive produced for a seven-year run on television. He also earned the distinction of being named number eight in the 50 most powerful people in science fiction list that was compiled by Cinema Fantastique. In 2003, he even brought back The Twilight Zone. This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. I'm Tony Tolato. And I'm Ernest Lilly. And welcome to Sci-Fi Talk. Our theme is written by Larry Cardarelli. We cover science fiction, fantasy, horror, genre comics, and collectibles through live guests and tape interviews. Email us at sci-fi talk at aol.com. Tonight, we'll look at the 50th episode and really kind of celebrate the Outer Limits tonight with executive producer Penn Densham. And Ernest, you have a review tonight. The Infectress with Tom Cool, yeah. Yeah, okay. Everybody's sort of caught up in the, before we start the review, in Star Wars mania lately. Absolutely. Uh, I this week past week I actually sat down and watched Escape uh, Escape. I'm, th- I'm thinking Escape from L.A. here. Yeah. But actually I sat down and I watched Return of the Jedi. And you know I remember how it was panned when it first came out in '83. But I'll tell you that movie holds up. It is a very entertaining movie. A lot of people like the second movie for the drama, but I really like the first and last because I'm a kid at heart. Yeah. <laughs> I like all three. I think it's probably one of the best trilogies ever done. I didn't say I hate the second movie. I don't know no, you didn't <laughs> say that. But speaking of reviews, let's let's get out of this quickly. Let's get out. <laughs> a quick segue. Yes. Hey, Infectress by Tom Cool. Robert Heinlein's career as a naval officer served him well in the military-laden science fiction he wrote to earn the title of Father of Science Fiction. In the unlikely chance that you've never read Heinlein, go get a copy of Starship Troopers before it comes out on screen next summer. Well, Bain Books has just published the first novel from another naval officer, Commander, I kid you not, Tom Cool, whom they bill as the Deputy Director for Plans and Programs for the U.S. Southern Command, and the most gifted naval officer to write since you-know-who. Naval officers writing science fiction strike me as a short list to begin with, and though this improbably named author is not Robert Heinlein, he's not bad, but occasionally misguided. For the parts I liked in The Infectress, I applaud the author. For the other bits, well. Infectress is part Tom Clancy and part Robert Heinlein in a near-future story of viral terrorism, artificial intelligence, and male fantasy run amok. Commander Cool indulges himself in an amoral villainess that seduces spineless male accomplices before killing them, and an ex-FBI agent whose husband was killed in the same blast that shattered her hip and destroyed her womb. I'm a little worried about the author's relationship with women. The male protagonist is a fairly confused lump of clay that has just finished putting the final touches on the world's first really good artificial intelligence program. I'm not alive, Meta often points out. I'm just programmed to act that way. Okay, now I'm getting worried about Tom Cool's relationship with men and inanimate objects. The story is chock full of clever glimpses into the future drawn from the many hours Tom Cool has spent in technology briefings for his day job. As much as I kept wanting to dismiss the author, I kept admitting, grudgingly, that a lot of his ideas strike home. He's done his homework, and Meta quotes Heinlein and Clark's computer creations at the appropriate moments, even mimicking the HAL 9000, but unfortunately, there's just too much scene and not enough substance. Though Tom has a well-conceived story arc, he keeps trying to dress it up with gadgets, plot twists, and male fantasies. If he'd shown a bit more restraint, Infectress would appeal to a broader audience. Tom Cool is not Tom Clancy, nor Robert Heinlein, but he has managed to put together an exciting piece of work. 
There are plenty of things I wish Commander Cool had done differently, but plenty more that kept me turning pages to see where it would all end up. Commander Cool, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's like, is this the character or the author? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, well, it sounds like, you know, a kind of there's some high points there as well as, uh, you know, he needs to work on some things. A, a lot of people who write a first book seem to have ideas just pent up in them, and they want to get them all out in one book. Mm -hmm. So if he does a second book, maybe he'll relax a little bit. Well, there's but, a thing called but, sequels. But it's a decent book. Okay. All right, we'll be back in just one moment with Pendension. This is Tim Russ from Star Trek Voyager, and you are listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Trilogy Entertainment started with two hit films, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Backdraft. Since then, Trilogy has gotten into television, reviving one of our favorites, the classic series, The Outer Limits. Continuing the series trend of thought-provoking stories with an impressive guest cast list, like Bo Bridges, Sheena Easton, Mark Hamill, and Brent Spiner, just to name a few. And the series has its accolades, too, winning the Cable Ace Award for Best Dramatic Series. And tonight we have executive producer Penn Densham, who has had an impressive list of credits, including including writing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which starred Kevin Costner. Welcome to Sci-Fi Talk. Well, hello, Tony. How are you doing? Okay, great. Uh, the series just uh, did its 50th episode. It's going to be airing soon, if it hasn't aired, and uh, which is actually one more than the original classic series. Right. How, does, how does that feel for you guys? Um, well, it's a, it's a very strange and wonderful honor. First of all, I'm, I'm a kid that grew up on science fiction. I loved Heinlein, so it's funny hearing you guys talking about him. <laughs> and uh, the Puppet Masters, I can remember reading that of being uh, like 13 or 12 years old and scaring the pants off myself. Um, it's an incredible privilege to take something that's lasted for 32 years and see, see the people are still playing the original episodes. And also it's very scary because you, if you care about science fiction, you realize that there's a heritage there and one doesn't want to fail having seen these guys do things that were so avant-garde for their time. Getting to the 50th episode and, and being friends with Joe Stefano, the guy that created the original series, and, and uh, we've even now asked him to rewrite one of his original stories and we've only ever done one other remake from the original show which was the Leonard Nimoy uh, right. I'm a Robot um, it, it is in a great way sort of feeling like there's a mantle and we're, we're, we're trying to mix the generations together yeah. um, what also has been wonderful is that as much as um, I love science fiction. What I tried to do was to create a show that was very different from most television formats in that I really saw the role of the show being more like an operating system and, and being able to bring different people in. And so we have lots of great creative talent. Alan Brennett writes scripts for us. Brad Wright, who wrote The Camp, which is the, um, the, the 50th anniversary episode, mm -hmm. uh, is a writer that um, we've been watching. He did Quality of Mercy, which was the story where a guy is in a jail with a, with a woman who's slowly being changed into an alien. Yes. And you suddenly realize that there's an awful twist on the end of that. Yeah. That guy's imagination was so good. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was asked to try and re-energize the out of limits for the 90s the first thing they wanted was well let's put continuing characters into it and I felt that that was a tremendous betrayal of what had in, in my mind when I remember Zandy Misfits and all those things oh, yeah. I, I wanted to go to a different place every week and not know where I was going and be taken on a journey that was a thrill and I felt if we turned it into a clone of the X-Files or something we really would have let people down and so luckily MGM who've been really good to us bit the bullet and let us do the one thing that plagues television which is anthology and I'm sort of 
uh, aghast and delighted that we've got this far and have been this successful. And, um, uh, you know, it's a thrill. Well, Penn, you know, you mentioned that you've always liked science fiction and, and uh, mentioned Heinlein. Um, science fiction is, uh, even in the written form, a lot of times the great home of the anthology and the short story. So it, Absolutely. it's a format that works so well with it. Um, we hear that you uh, cast actors against type a lot. Um, does that work? Um, is it true? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to get noticed. As, as anybody knows now, science fiction actually exists all around us. There's more television channels than one could imagine. And I worked with Marshall McLuhan briefly when I was uh, working out of Toronto, and, he, you know, his theories about global village and things. And, mm -hmm. and now there's so many ch options that one must go for the highest possibility. If our show is going to succeed and we're going to attract an audience, we need to get people that the audience has heard of being in the shows. Sure. So, so luckily, you know, we're able to get somebody um, who is like a Howie Mandel to suddenly come in and play a man possessed by many different personalities. And Howie's never had a chance to do a serious acting role. His own persona is so mercurial and um, uh, he's a wild man that it, it, it goes in the direction of already his success and his talent. And those kinds of things are great fun. Um, we've also brought in, obviously, Mark Hamill, which yes. was a fantastic thing to be able to do for a science fiction show. And getting Leonard to come back and work with his son, that again was that, that same sense of, um, here we are. I mean I, I mean, I grew up thinking that I was a nerd when I was reading science fiction. We were always the, the repressed, the people that were sort of, uh, that, that there was real, real literature. And then what we did was kind of like trash reading. And yet I believe philosophically that the greatest ideas are coming out of science fiction, that the people that, that had the courage to write in the medium were far thinking, were people that really had to philosophically look at our world and look at the changes and, and predict things um, that were cautionary or, or very um, powerful. And so when we go to our shows, we, we, we want the best possible people telling the stories for us. Penn, let me jump in for a second with, with my highest praise. <laughs> uh, science fiction is, to me, um, that medium which provides stories that can really stretch people's minds. Yeah. And that's exactly what your format and your show is doing. You said there's a lot of science fiction on, but you know, there's a lot of sci-fi on. And sci-fi is a lot of fun, yeah. but it's not science fiction. Um, Outer Limits is science fiction. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. And I appreciate it for, and as I said, we're, we're a different kind of show, but doing an anthology, we drive our people crazy and um, that is because every week we have to come up with a whole new cast that have never worked together before usually with a director that's never met any of these people they have to create brand new costumes in some cases they're creating sets that are in the future or in the past um, they, they have to get all of this together and shoot it on a TV schedule every week and what the great thing is is that the people that are doing it are totally enthused because you couldn't do it if you ordered them to do it. Mm. Um, it's it's people walk onto a set and suddenly their imagination has to go. How can I make this something that you've never seen before? And the only way you get that is through enthusiasm. Well, we had one of your directors on who actually has a dual role for a trilogy. She also stars in Poltergeist: The Legacy. Helen Shaver directed sure. Outer Limits, yep. and uh, you know she was very enthused when we were talking about it, and actually getting a chance to direct some Poltergeist too. So it's good to see people stepping behind the camera, like the Leonard Nimoy working with his son Adam on the iRobot and giving him a chance to play a different role as opposed to what he played in the original. It's just, uh, it's that kind of thing that keeps things fresh. And that's and, what you do so well on the show. And it keeps us all fresh. I yeah. think, um, you know, what we're looking for all the time is... Um, 
what what is it that's going to keep the show from bogging down? I mean, my biggest fear when I was writing the original outline for the series that we would become voiced at the bottom of the sea and there'd be a guy in a seaweed suit banging on that thing with all the sparks that come out every week. <laughs> and um, when I was designing the approach to the show, I tried to make it so that no one person had power over the show. Mm. I really wanted to create a think tank environment. And, you know, most shows are kind of like a car. There's one driver and everybody has to get in. Right. That works pretty good for a Gene Roddenberry. But for a science fiction series where every time the ideas should be fresh and challenging, I, I desperately didn't want to be the individual or to have one individual who could control it. So we really did go after a think tank. Do you have? Here's a hot spot question, because no, no producer wants to talk about favorites because, you know, they're like his children. Absolutely. <laughs> You've already heard that. <laughs> right. And I can't give that one. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway... Let, well, let's let's do one that you weren't involved with. What about the original Outer Limits? Any of those that you would call your favorites? Oh, I guess Demon with a Glass Hand is one of those. Yeah, Harvey yep, Ellison. We're all on board for that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they're, they're 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 such exciting concepts. When I saw them as a kid, that um, mm. they still stay with me, and that that sort of defines favorite. Um, there's not much television that really riveted me, that's still in my head. And that's one of the things that I think the original series had. Um, and, I, and I'm not putting down Twilight Zone, but I liked science fiction more than I like fantasy. I think fantasy, you can just make up any rules you like. And um, that there, there are some great successes in fantasy, but science fiction to me is Jurassic Park. It's Frankenstein. It's, um, you know, in, in many cases, shows that don't even want to admit it, like Aliens was never sold as science fiction or Alien, but it was great science fiction because it all fit logically. The alien and its whole species and its biological behavior and things was great. And and then on top of that, the human characters responded in a real sense to those jeopardies. And, and that that kind of process is very exciting. More with Penn Densham talking the outer limits in a moment. about human nature, really. Talk about the uh, 50th episode, uh, so people know to get their VCRs. As, you know, people like to collect certain episodes because it's 50th or 100th. So you can talk about the plot and who's in it, because I'm kind of curious myself. Well, we, we, we did a lot of debating because we felt this was some kind of anniversary that we should be special about. And um, the, the show itself is, in many ways... Um, what we like to do best, which is just questioning some of the behaviors of human beings and some of the behaviors that we have seen that we're possible of. It's called The Camp, and it was written by Brad Wright, who has now become one of our chief exec uh, producer writers on the show. And it's directed by Jonathan Glasner, who uh, has been on the show since it was founded and has also become a tremendous director. And he originally wrote what I thought was one of our first great scripts was the one about the robot woman who fell in love with the guy in the wheelchair. I don't know if you remember that one or not. Um, it was called Valerie 2000. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember seeing that. And, That's um, to Cherry 2000. <laughs> yeah, close. Um, and, um, you know, Jonathan's gone on to direct uh, also the plot where the president had to make a decision because there was an alien vessel coming towards us, which was kind of our mini ID4 before there was an ID4. That's right, with Robert Foxworth. No, yep. so no stranger to uh, science fiction. And so um, when these two guys decided to come together on the camp, uh, it was a very exciting prospect. Um, we have a, a, uh, an actress in it called Holly Jane Kozak, who was 
known for probably being an arachnophobia in parenthood. Oh, sure. And yeah. um, the the show itself really is is about a group of human beings who are enslaved in this incredibly cold and cruel world with a, a set of masters who are forcing them to perform work which doesn't seem to have a lot of logic to it and one woman starts to question why and these um, people have been in this environment for hundreds of years yeah. and what you know is that there's some alien race has put them in this prison and that the aliens now live outside and have um, basically dominated our world and I don't really want to spoil the plot for you but it's it's kind of a process of why would human beings submit to this what happens when they go over the wall and why have the other humans been willing to subjugate subjugate their own species uh, for this long a period for a group of aliens and it speaks about well in some cases it speaks about the killing fields and it speaks about some of the darker sides of our nature and it also speaks about hope mm. where this woman will not submit to anything and eventually is able to help the others get to freedom well what what's up for the outer limits for coming up I, I guess it'll be a, a third season I'm sure we're actually in this incredible position that when uh, we first started the show and this may um, be one of the records of television the guys at Showtime so thought that the thing was um, unique and powerful, having been nervous about having an anthology series, by the way, which is TV tradition, you're supposed to have ongoing characters, that they turned around and gave us an order for four years of shows. Wow. Wow. So we knew that we were going to be going um, through this year and through next year. Hmm. And so, um, again, that's the challenge of not getting complacent. Sure. Um, you know, we, we were given this opportunity to, I think, really make our shows take more risks mm -hmm. and um, one of the things that I'm always encouraging people to do is to try and write shows which could fail and you know we, we, we will have some dud shows but the reason we'll have dud ones is hopefully because we'll have 10 great ones that wouldn't have got there if you tried to be cautious well, I've I've randomly watched it, and I've actually been a very regular viewer, and have quite a few of them on tape. Actually, yeah, what, what's your feeling? Uh, I think I think most of the time you hit a home run because I think the casting and also the scripts are very thought provoking, and uh, you know, I the twist at the end is usually pretty good. You know, I I, I like it. I've, there's only been a few that have sort of you know. Uh, it out. Yeah, but uh, for the most part, I think uh, I think in some ways uh, you've gone beyond the original series. As much as we all love it, they they had their share of problems, especially in their second year. And uh, you know, to go beyond it and also get the quality of people that you've gotten, it also really has just taken the outer limits to a new level. And now you're even online. Uh, you have some projects on the internet going with the outer and, limits. And also, we we do read our emails. Oh, right. And, um, you know, I think we see continuously um, uh, a way to monitor our audience, which didn't really exist in the, in the old days. And we, we, see, we see a couple of complaints. We're both on Showtime and we're in syndication. Right, yeah. One of the complaints about syndication is that we're on at 2 o'clock in the morning in some markets, mm -hmm. and we're also on at, you know, at much more reasonable times in other markets, and people don't quite know where to find us. Mm -hmm. And the other complaint we get occasionally is that some of the endings are just too downer, and a uh, downer is uh, too predictable. And it's unfortunate, and in, in I, I, like you, love short stories that twist. I think, yep. it, you know, the last bolt should be the big one that makes everything spark. And um, 
sometimes that is a noir concept, but we listen. So, we're, you know, we're going to go, no, we can try harder with our endings. We can do better and, and make them be more surprising. And you'll see some uppers and some sideways and hopefully some ones we couldn't even think of until we were challenged to think of it. Sideways is good. Sideways is very Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, uh, you know, as far as uh, Trilogy and Robin Hood, uh, that was quite a project to take on, and you actually wrote the script for Robin Hood. What was that? like for you to follow that classic movie with well uh, I'm a, i mean I'm, I'm a fan of anywhere my imagination can go i think that um what i can't be is i couldn't write a kitchen sink drama to save my life <laughs> um i remember watching the errol flynn robin hood and those guys seemed so buoyant and full of life that they hardly touched the ground when they walked and i wanted to make a movie that had that same kind of energy and the great thing about la of course if you're here is that nobody believes anything works they only want to make a copy you'll find 50 ID4 copies are in development right now, but no one will be thinking about what what is the next thing that no one has actually created. Mm-hmm. I pitched Robin Hood to three different studios, all of whom are still in existence, and they all told me it was the stupidest idea they'd ever heard. People wanted cop shows and not men hitting each other with swords. So we did what I think probably makes us a little different from other people is that we sat down and I wrote it uh, with my partner's encouragement, and then my partner, John, helped me finish it, despite thinking that it was a futile waste of time. But it was because I really felt I wanted to write that story. And it wasn't because I even thought I could ever sell it. Mm-hmm. And you had the last laugh. It we was had the one, last laugh. One of 1991's biggest box office hits that year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a big hit for Mr. Costner and great cast. Some interesting twist on the legend, but, uh, it, you know, it worked very well. And some of those twists to me, again, that's similar philosoph- philosophically to The Outer Limits. I wanted yeah. to show how you could have an Arab, a Muslim, with a Christian, side yeah. by side, learning from each other, neither one having to destroy the other one's beliefs in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. I wanted to infuse it with a sense of black magic and, um, you know, to, 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 to give it a twist. Why was a guy so evil? And I just couldn't believe that a sheriff would be evil just because he's evil. Exactly. I figured that you needed something that had perverted a man to go to that level. And, and I think that great heroes need Goliath. Wow. Well, yeah. we're rapidly running out of time, but there is one question I want to ask. Um, is Trilogy have anything coming up in the future that we should be looking for as far as sci-fi? Um, well, I don't know if I'm allow- allowed to announce this or not, but we are... Oh, go oh yes, you are. It's about yeah, to right. check. Okay. <laughs> we're going to work on a, uh, a feature for The Outer Limits. Oh, great. Uh, I don't believe we've told anybody that. And we're wow. actually working on several scripts simultaneously in the hope that we come up with one that's of good enough quality to, to convince the studio to let us do it. Well, that's something I would go see. No question about that. And I would love to see that. It's got to have a great storyline. You can have great it's special absolutely. effects, cute characters, but it's the storyline that brings it home. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, you guys know about that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still learning. More than anybody. But yeah, I, I'd say I think they're in good shape. Well, thank you for being with us, and congratulations. And uh, I think it's terrific what you guys are doing with that and Poltergeist, the legacy, too. So, uh, you know, and all the other things you're doing. I think it's uh, it's great. You guys sort of broke off on your own to do this, and you need a lot of encouragement because of that. Well, thank you. I'm glad there are guys out like you selling the science fiction world and letting us to get known. I mean, we, we want to get our shows seen, and obviously you guys care, and that's great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, and take care now, and best of luck with the season and many more to come. Thanks, Cheers. Bro. Until then, I'm Tony Tolato, and I'm Ernest Lilly. Good night, folks. The Iron Limits is still available out there to watch, even the original series as well. Customizable podcast playlists, exclusive videos, special episodes like the Mix 100, 
and selected by listener downloads. All this and more at Sci-Fi Talk Plus. Now with a thousand episodes uncut and a special offer for free lifetime access now available for a limited time. Click on the link in the show notes. No anonymous signups are allowed. Thanks for listening. This is Tony Tolado.